Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Soundsington Media! Hey, Meredith. If you could go anywhere in space, where would you go? Hmm, I think I would go to a star cluster. Really? Why would you go there? So I could see what it's like when there's a bunch of stars super close together. That's interesting. Yeah, what about you? I think that I want to visit one of the exoplanets that we've discovered. You know, we've discovered, like, a few thousand planets around other stars other than our own. I want to see what those are all about. Why'd you ask? I feel like in space exploration, we usually talk about where we're going and what we're going to do when we get there. Yeah, but we don't often talk about why we're going. Exactly. When it comes to astronomy and space exploration, there are a lot of unanswered questions. And maybe one of the most important questions is why. I'm Meredith Stepien. And I'm Brian Holden. And this is Reach, a space podcast for kids. Welcome to Reach, a space podcast for kids. In previous episodes, we've been really lucky to learn about some incredible missions from some of the world's leading experts in space and science. And this week, we're taking a step back to talk about an important word in the world of space and exploration. Why? That's right. As we look to understand space and science, it's also really important to understand the importance of being ethically minded when we endeavor to achieve our big dreams. And to learn more about what our listeners are dreaming about, we asked members of the REACH community, if you could go anywhere in space, where would you go and why? Here's what they had to say. If I could go anywhere in space, it would probably be Saturn because um, I've heard of the sounds that the rings make and it sounds really cool and I feel like I'd love to live there and hear that every morning. If I could go anywhere in space, I'd probably go to Venus because kids my age don't really hear about Venus at all on any social media platforms that we're allowed to have. But after I went to Venus, I'd probably want to come back to Earth. I could go anywhere in space. I would go to the Caloris Basin on Mercury. Now, even though Mercury is indeed the smallest planet, The little guy also has one of the largest impact basins on the solar system. And it's the largest feature on the planet, too. In the pictures, it looks really extreme. So if I had a spaceship or superpowers like Captain Marvel, that's where I go. Ooh, I think about so often what I would do if I had superpowers like Captain Marvel or the Green Lantern or something like that. Yeah, and he talks about it a lot, too. Sorry. That's okay. To help us understand some of these big questions about why, we were fortunate enough to sit down with Dr. Lucianne Walkowicz, astronomer at Chicago's Adler Planetarium. 
Lucienne is also a co-founder of the Just Space Alliance, which was built to advocate for a more inclusive and ethical future in space, and to harness visions of tomorrow for a more just and equitable world today. Welcome to Reach, Lucienne. We're really honored to have you on our podcast here. Thank you so much for having me. So, you and I know each other, but would you mind telling our audience about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. My name is Lucianne Walkowicz, and I'm an astronomer, and I work at the Adler Planetarium in Chicago. And in addition to that, I also run an organization called the Just Space Alliance, which tries to talk about our futures in space um, from an ethical and inclusive perspective. And we'll talk more about what that means in a minute. That's right. Yeah, well, we're super excited for you to share your expertise with us then. You know a lot about space, and it seems you know a lot about ethics as well. You know, I'm wondering, some of our listeners may not be familiar with that term. So could you give us a definition of ethics? Yeah, sure. Um, so just like astronomy is our word for the study of space, ethics is our word for the study of how we make decisions about what's right and wrong. And you might think that that sounds kind of obvious, like, you know, some decisions are very clear cut and it's clear what the right answer is, right? Like if somebody else has an apple and, you know, you want to have that apple, you wouldn't just take it because that would be stealing and stealing is wrong. But sometimes when we try to make decisions about what's right and wrong, the answer is not always so clear. So let's say that you have the apple and somebody else wants that apple because they don't have any food at all and they're very, very hungry. In that case, um, they might argue that it's okay to take the apple because otherwise they would keep on being super hungry. And uh, somebody might also argue that you should give them the apple because it wouldn't be right for you to have it when somebody else is going hungry. And in that situation, it's not so clear who's right, right? You might still argue that it's not okay to take the apple without permission, but then, you know, just because the apple is yours doesn't mean that maybe you shouldn't give it away under certain circumstances. And a lot of times um, people have different ideas about what's right and wrong. And so um, the field of ethics is how we study those decisions and um, how our ideas about how we want to live in the world informs our ideas about what's right or wrong to do. Thank you, Lucienne. That was a great explanation. So I feel like I've got a good concept of what ethics are, but how do they relate to space exploration? So that's a great question because, you know, I think a lot of times um, people just think about space as a place we could go and, you know, we could go there or not. And that's kind of the only decision that you need to make. Maybe you have to decide like who gets to go or how you want to go there. But, you know, just like any other thing that human beings do, uh, we still have to make decisions and we still have to decide what the right decisions are. So, for example, um, you might think about like people who go to space who are astronauts, right? How would you go about choosing who should go to space? In space exploration right now, people are starting to think about, you know, well, what if we sold tickets to ride on a rocket, right? And going to space tends to be kind of expensive. Like, you know, it's hard to send a rocket to space. It costs a lot to like put gas in the rocket and all that sort of stuff. So you might argue, right, that, uh, you know, you should only go to space if you can buy a ticket. 
But then that means that only people with a lot of money would get to go to space. And, you know, there's no reason why somebody who has lots of money should have more right to go to space. And so you might argue that instead, we should choose astronauts on some other basis besides like whether they have a lot of money or not. Um, You know, maybe we should choose astronauts that have particular skills or, um, you know, who want to do particular things while they're there. And so, you know, that's just one example of how ethics affects the way that we explore space. The sort of question of like, who gets to go is one of the basic ones. But then there are also questions about like, what do we do when we get there? So, you know, a lot of people talk now about people going and living and working and maybe staying for a long time on other planets like Mars. And, you know, when you have ideas about what you're going to do on the planet, just because it's the planet Mars and not the planet Earth doesn't mean that you still don't have to decide about what you're going to do when you get there and then whether that's okay to do. So here on Earth, we have this idea about taking care of the environment and that we want to do things that are good for our Earth and that don't hurt the planet. Um, You know, you might recycle, for example, or, you know, maybe your parents tell you not to run the heat too much because you don't want to use that much energy. So if people are going to go and live on another planet, then presumably we would have some responsibility to take care of that planet too, and to make decisions that are not only good for us, but good for the planet as well. So you talked a little bit about like, you know, sort of a a human presence on Mars, also about just access to space, who gets to go. I know that in some of our previous episodes, we've talked about the care that people take when sending things or sending people to space, like kind of the the clean aspect, making sure that little living organisms from our bodies don't enter these environments and maybe mess with these new environments. I feel like that also falls into an ethical challenge of space exploration, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we even have a name for that. It's called planetary protection. Can you give us like any other quick examples of other like sort of ethics conversations that are happening in relation to space exploration today? Sure. So, you know, when we talk about going to places that are very far away from the Earth, like Mars, um, in the past we've sent humans to the moon, but the, you know, the moon is more or less in our backyard by comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it takes a couple days to get there, but Mars, it could take months. And, you know, if you're going to live there, you might be out in space for a long time. So the tricky part is that um, humans have never done that before. And we know some things about like how the human body responds to being in space and that it's kind of a hard environment for us because we human beings, you know, evolved on the planet Earth and we're used to having a certain amount of gravity and, you know, moving our bodies in particular ways that might be different or more difficult in space. And so, you know, sometimes when people go to space, they have changes in their eyesight. So they might not see as well or their bones might become a little bit brittle. And that's just going up into space that's near Earth. Now, if you go to somewhere like Mars, well, we don't really know what will happen. You know, we have some ideas, but we, we've never tested it. And whenever we test things that involves like human bodies, we're very, very careful to make sure that anyone who is taking part in our test has some idea of what might happen to them 
when they do. Now, if you are going to talk about humans going on long, long journeys through space, nobody can tell you what's going to happen because nobody's done it before. And we don't really have a good way of studying it here on Earth. So on Earth, this is known as medical ethics. So, you know, how do we decide about what's okay to test, you know, on people and to decide, you know, whether it's worth doing that because it might make new medicines possible for us. Mm. But you want people to know um, we have something called informed consent, where informed consent means you're telling people all of the things that might happen so that they can make a decision with all of the knowledge available to them. But for going to space, sometimes there are things that we just don't know. And so people can't make a completely informed decision. And then you have to decide, well, is it still worth it to go and do something that you know, could potentially hurt people. It might not, but it might without being able to tell them all the things that might be happening to them along the way. Those are big decisions. It is a big decision. And, you know, the the thing that um, makes those kinds of questions work here on earth is that people can change their mind. But Mm. if you're on a spaceship and you're going, you know, deep into space, you're like halfway to Mars, um, it's really like hard to turn around and just come home, right? Like it would, yeah. if you traveled for three months in one direction and then you were like, mm, I changed my mind and I just want to go home. It would still take you three months to go back home, even if you could turn around right away. And so, you know, in the same way that you can't tell people exactly what will happen, you also kind of can't make it immediately better if they change their mind and they decide that they're not okay with it anymore. And so those are really, really hard questions and ethics that, you know, we have to face if we want humans to go out and travel through space. Wow. Yeah, I definitely don't envy the people that have to make those scary decisions, that's for sure. So, Lucien, let me ask you maybe a different kind of question, more focused on you. What are you passionate about when you think about exploring space? Oh, I think I am most passionate about finding if life exists somewhere other than Earth. So I really am very interested in the search for alien life. And, you know, my interest in people's going to space is to be able to go to places like Mars and maybe explore them and try to tell whether there was life there now or in the past. And, you know, We send like spaceships and rovers that, you know, can travel over the surface of planets like Mars and do certain kinds of experiments. But human beings are really good at doing things that some robots are not, Um, you know, like making decisions and um, making choices much faster than a robot can. You know, our hands are very good tools. We can repair things. And so even the best Mars rover in the world is not quite as good an explorer as a human explorer would be. So I am really interested in discovering some of those secrets of where life might exist beyond planet Earth. But also, I want to make sure that if life does exist beyond planet Earth, that human beings going and checking it out doesn't hurt it in some way. And so that's why I'm so concerned about ethics in space is that, you know, I want to learn the answers to these questions and why I feel very passionately about these questions. I also feel just as passionate that we should try to make good decisions that are safe for other worlds and our own world. 
Gosh, that's such a good way of putting it, making good decisions that are safe for our world and any other world. Yeah, that's that's a very responsible way to go about doing things. And it, it, it adds another layer of uh, precaution and preparation to just getting to those places in the first place, like Europa or Mars or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think that sometimes people feel very frustrated, you know, because whenever you're excited about something, it can be very tempting to just, you know, go and do it as fast as possible. But sometimes, you know, the the way that you would do it if you were rushing to do something as fast as possible is not always the right way to do something. Mm -hmm. And so while it can be difficult or at least challenging to take things a little bit slow and be a little bit more careful, Sometimes that means that you could have a better outcome in the end than if you just rushed into it. And that's part of what's so challenging about exploring space is not just building the like rocket ships and, you know, rovers and all that stuff that has to go there, but deciding like how and when and where and who gets to send them or gets to go. Wow. Well, I can't wait as well. You know, hopefully we'll get to get out to some of these worlds and maybe find something really cool and interesting sometime, maybe in my lifetime, maybe in yours. We'll see. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Lucien, we are so grateful for your time today. Before we go, we'd like to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests. What advice do you have for our young listeners out there dreaming about a career in space or science? I think my best piece of advice is that, you know, it can be really powerful to follow the the questions that you are curious about. I find, or at least when I was in school, I found that um, sometimes I, you know, wanted to study a whole bunch of different things. So in addition to science, I also really like art and I really like writing and lots of other things. And sometimes I ran into, you know, like grownups who would tell me that I had to pick and, you know, that I couldn't do art and science. I would have to just do the science if I wanted to be good at science. And I think that, you know, I am very stubborn sometimes. And so, <laughs> you know, I never listened to people who told me that I couldn't do more than one thing. And I think that that made me a better scientist. You know, I still do art and writing and I think that those um, those aspects of things that I'm curious in actually help me with science, even though they aren't things that I learned in a science class. So I think that your curiosity and the things that make you feel really excited are, they're kind of a really good um, guide to where you should like spend your attention. And if somebody tells you no, then, you know, you should consider, of course, everybody's advice and think about whether they have your best interests at heart, even if it's not something you want to hear. But also, if it doesn't seem like they do have your best interests at heart, you should probably just do, you know, the things that you're really curious about. Lucianne, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciated having you here. Thank you so much for having me. And hello, everybody out there. Thanks for listening. Wow. Thanks so much to Dr. Walkowicz for joining us on Reach. I loved their advice about following questions you're curious about. And if you're interested in science and astronomy, you can still explore a variety of interests and subjects like art and music. Or even long distance communications. That's right. Earlier this week, we caught up with one of our distant interstellar neighbors. It's a planet from the far reaches of our solar system 
where it's pretty chilly. Please welcome our good friend Uranus on this week's edition of Did You Know? Hi, Uranus. Thanks so much for having me, Brian and Meredith. Did you know that I am an ice giant planet and nearly four times larger than the planet Earth? Whoa, really? That means if you were to put me in the same room as four Earths, you couldn't tell us apart. Well, you probably could because there's four of them and one of me. But uh, anyway, as I was saying, did you know I was also the first planet discovered using a telescope back in the year 1781? <laughs> I am old. I have seen lots of things. I'm tired. Did you know that I have a small rocky core, but most of me is made up of an icy material? So you could say that I'm really cool. <laughs> Did you get that one? Because ice is cool. Yeah, you know, not all of them are winners. I have 27 known moons, all named after literary characters from the works of William Shakespeare and Alexander Pope. Not sure what accent Alexander Pope had, but anyway, um, hello, Juliet, Ophelia, and Puck. Haha. <laughs> holding for applause as I bow, holding for applause. Thank you. Now, here's an interesting one. Like the planet Venus, I rotate in the opposite direction as most other planets. But unlike any other planet, I rotate on my side. So you could say that I go my own way. <laughs> That's a song reference for your parents or for some of you, your grandparents. <laughs> Hello, grandparents. What's the best part about being Uranus? The best part about being Uranus? It's probably that I'm really cold I'm really big, and I'm really old. Hey, that rhymed. You should be a poet. Here, let me try one. <clears throat> Uranus, Uranus. What rhymes with Uranus? Well, I'm done being a poet. I'm just happy being a planet. Okay, Uranus. Thanks so much for joining us on Reach. Oh, this was fun. Thank you, Brian and Meredith. And remember what I always say. Do you? Do you remember what I always say? Um, we think so. Do we remember? Oh, it's really just, bye. That's what I always say when I'm done with the, okay, yeah, bye. Talk to you next time. Bye. Uranus really likes the double goodbye. I'm okay with it. Each week on Reach, we showcase at-home activities designed for interactive learning anywhere in the world. And this week, we're featuring a new segment entitled For Further Discussion where we'll invite you to continue the conversation around topics in this episode. When it comes to thinking about reasons why we explore our galaxy and other planets, there are some amazing conversations happening right now on social media. If you've been keeping up with the incredible landing of NASA's Perseverance rover, the scientific community is fostering a very resourceful conversation about ongoing reasons to continue exploring our galaxy. While space exploration and related technology are at the forefront of NASA's mission, did you know that we use many of NASA's innovations in our everyday life? That's right. Take a moment and see if you can think of any inventions that may have been created by NASA. How about portable computers, high-speed Wi-Fi, baby formula, and even filtration for cleaner drinking water? Wow. Also, if you'd like to learn more about the Just Space Alliance, the organization Lucianne mentioned earlier in the show, just visit JustSpaceAlliance.org. 
And speaking of exploration, as we discuss the physical expectations of future astronauts, the European Space Agency is sponsoring the Para-Astronaut Feasibility Study. This effort is being developed to foster a more inclusive environment for exploring space. Take a moment to think about it. What could that mean to be more inclusive in space exploration? For the European Space Agency, it means to make a commitment in both recruitment and hardware design to making sure even more individuals can go to space regardless of physical limitations. Check out the link in our show notes to learn more. And Brian, did you know that there are efforts out there trying to make sure that the space above our Earth becomes free of debris? The debris is known as space junk, and there are currently over 20,000 objects being actively tracked around the Earth. To learn more about space junk and how some countries and companies are attempting to reduce the amount of floating objects around the Earth, visit our show notes, and this is definitely a topic for a future episode. You know, Meredith, Lucianne really gave us a lot to think about when it comes to why we're going to space and exploring the galaxy. Yeah, you know, it really made me think about how it's not just us going to a place in space, it's about us preserving what's already there in space. Yeah, like we don't want our microbes or our attitudes to mess the place up. (laughs) We want to hear from you. Why would you want to go to space and explore the galaxy? Let us know. Feel free to share a quote on social media and be sure to tag at ReachThePodcast. As always, we want to acknowledge that not everyone has access to computers or the internet. And if you're not able to get online, many local libraries offer publicly available internet access. Thanks for joining us for Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're your hosts, Meredith Stepien and Brian Holden. This episode of Reach was written by Sandy Marshall with Nate DeFort, Meredith Stepien, and Brian Holden. Big thanks to Dr. Lucianne Walkowicz, astronomer at Chicago's Adler Planetarium, for joining us on Reach. You can follow Lucianne on Twitter at Rocket to Lulu. And big thanks to Chicago's Adler Planetarium, who has a podcast of their own. Stick around after the credits this week to hear a trailer for the exciting story of The Aquarius Project, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uranus was voiced by the incomparable Ithamar Enriquez, who you know from Marvel's WandaVision on Disney+, and can also be seen as Hector in Netflix's A Series of Unfortunate Events and in Arrested Development. You can follow Ithamar on Twitter, at Ithamar Enriquez. And as always, a big thanks to the Reach Learning Community. That's right. We especially want to thank Blythe, Bella, and Madison from fellow Kids Listen show, All Things Madison, available wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a question about space that's been on your mind? Let us know. Our bi-weekly segment entitled Reaching Out is our chance to answer your questions. Tune in to Reaching Out next week to find out how you can be featured in an upcoming episode. Hey, Meredith. Did you know that Neptune's winds are the fastest in the solar system, reaching 1,600 miles per hour? That's about as fast as I type. Nobody types that fast. I type that fast. Okay. If you're enjoying Reach, be sure to tell your friends, and nobody types that fast. (laughs) But also, leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. Or share an episode on social media. And if you'd like to find us online... Visit at Reach the Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or on our website at reachthepodcast.com. Reach is a production of Soundsington Media committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, 
go to soundsingtonmedia.com. Do you know your neighbors? My neighbors and I mostly keep to ourselves. But if something sufficiently strange happens nearby, we'll open our doors and talk to each other. What about you? Would you step outside for a barking dog? A weird smell? A parade? How about a meteor the size of a car? What if you woke up to a bright green flash and looked out your window just in time to see it fade? Would you reach for your glasses or your shoes in the eerie silence that followed? Or would you sit stock still until the rumbly, thundery sound of that car-sized meteor tearing through the sky and the boom of the last big chunk of it breaking up over the lake finally caught up to the light? Meteors big enough to survive Earth's atmosphere crash into the planet 20 or 30 times a year. But most of them crash into the ocean, because most of the planet is ocean. And most of the ones that fall on land don't fall near cities because most of the land doesn't have cities on it. But what if this meteor did fall near a city? Your city. And what if, just as you heard that final boom, red-hot space rocks as heavy as pineapples were slamming into the water outside? And over the next few minutes, pieces the size of pebbles and grains of sand scattered across the lake. Your lake in a hail of cosmic bullets more than 15 miles long and 5 miles wide. Well, would you step out to meet the neighbors? Welcome to the Aquarius Project Podcast, a story about the world's first underwater meteorite search and rescue mission. A meteor crashed into Lake Michigan in 2017, and a few people at the Adler Planetarium in Chicago decided they wanted a piece of it. They knew that finding a pebble-sized meteorite at the bottom of a 22,000-square-mile lake wouldn't be easy. And they knew they couldn't do it alone. So they asked their neighbors for help. And that is how a few astrophysicists, some professional divers, a Norwegian jazz musician, two different pipe fitters, a marine biologist, a bunch of teenagers, a NASA scientist, a graduate student, an actor, a building engineer, a suburban cop, a robotics expert, and dozens of other local explorers got to know each other on the way to the bottom of the lake. What did they find down there? Join your friends at the Adler Planetarium to find out. Get all six episodes of the Aquarius Project podcast right now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. 